Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, December 7th, we are studying the hymn, What Hope and Eden Prophesied. That is hymn number 342 in Lutheran Service Book. This hymn, written by Pastor Stephen Starkey, invites us to rejoice in the hope of the new creation that is ours through the Savior, Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you again and with our hearers on this Wednesday Advent morning. So we get started today, Pastor Bars. Let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent in general. We're into the second week of Advent now. What should we know about the season of Advent, its role in the church here, and the life of the Christian? Well, I know all of your guests, all of those who share in this sharper iron, say something about this, so I'll give you a a few of my perspectives. It is a preparatory and a penitential season. It, It has both of those qualities, not at least in my mind, and I think in much of the piety of of many Lutherans, not quite lent in terms of preparing for and being penitent in anticipation of the death and resurrection of our Lord, but rather we are penitent and we are preparatory for his appearing as God with us, as Emmanuel. And though it's part of my experience and yours, Pastor Apple, I I suspect it's not true for all of those who are listening in that you knew Advent as soon as as soon as you were growing up. There, there, it could not be Christmas without Advent. In our culture, that's certainly not true. But in many parts of the Christian Church, it's not true at least not to the degree that that liturgical Christians would observe it. So it, it's always it's always a, a surprise and somewhat of a lament when I see Christmas decorations up as they were in in our neighborhood on the 11th of November. Oh my! And I'm thinking I'm thinking we got a long way to go. We've got a lot of Advent ahead of us. And I I didn't I didn't pull over and talk to the workers back then in November and say, Hey, uh, do you always do this before Advent? And they'd say, Well, what's what's Advent? But any, anyway, and and it's and you know it's the music and it's the decorations and it's Frosty the Snowman and and Jingle Bell Rock. When it really wouldn't bother me so much if I go into the stores and I hear I hear O Come O Come Emmanuel or I hear or I hear um, just uh, the hymn that we're going to look That's at right. today of of hope of of the promised messianic kingdom. So with with Advent sometimes getting overlooked certainly by our culture and sometimes even within the Christian church what's the what's the benefit of a season like this why do we need a few weeks of preparation and penitence before the celebration of Christmas 
I do not wait well. It is one of my uh, personal uh, faults that that I can identify. I I, I switch lanes when I, I don't. I try not to drive over the speed limit, but I switch lanes a lot. And I, if I'm at if I'm at the HEB at our at our grocery store, I'm always looking for the for the one that I'll have to wait the least. But waiting is so good. I, I love the closing of Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. And that's precisely it. We wait for the Lord. We wait for him to do his work in his church and for us as his people. So I, I need the discipline of a time of a time of waiting. And, and you know as well as I do as a pastor, sometimes sometimes we get as anxious as our people. We wish we were there already and and we're not. So so we we are called we are called to wait. And and Advent is is a time though to be thoughtful in our waiting, uh, to be anticipating as, as I have said it, perhaps will you remember when you were at Crown of Life that you heard me say, let's wait for this to happen as though it were happening for the very first time, hmm. as though Mary hears from the angel and Zechariah is visited in the temple and, and all of these events that are leading us to the good news of great joy. But, but wait, we, we wait. And during Advent, we focus certainly on, on our Lord's coming, his appearing, his revealing. We, we know that we are waiting and anticipating, preparing for that, that first appearing, that first coming, the nativity of our Lord, which, which we get to celebrate on a Christmas, on a Christmas, uh, on a Christmas day, on a Sunday, on a Sunday this year. We do so, we wait for that, knowing that he has come. When, when our Lord speaks that one of those final promises to his disciples, not yet at the ascension, but up in Galilee, I will be with you mm. always. And, and he is in his word proclaimed, in his sacraments given and shared and celebrated. So our Lord comes Sunday after Sunday to and among his people. And the church waits for his reappearing for his final return in glory. We close the church year in that way. We begin the church year in that way. We pray as we will hear and see and and discover in this hymn, we say, come Lord Jesus. We wait for his promised return. He told his disciples that he must go away, but he will come back. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He was, he was, it was told to the disciples by the by two angels on the Mount of Olives that he will come back in the same way as you saw him go. And part of that is the promise of what it will be, the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. Hmm. Now, this is a question that I didn't warn you about ahead of time, but I, I think you'll have something to say to it. As it as it turns out today, you and I are, are using FaceTime to talk to each other, and you're wearing blue, and I'm wearing violet, as it turns out. And we've, we've had a conversation a couple times on Sharper Iron just a little bit about the color of the season. And a blue is a, a newer color within the church year. And if I recall correctly, at Crown of Life, you use blue. And so I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the use of the color blue and how that assists in this preparatory penitential season. Well, that's, that is interesting. I, I, grew up, I grew up seeing purple during Advent and purple during Lent as a, as a PK, my father being a pastor for many years. And, and I think at some point 
I, I had to be a little bit quizzical when there was a crown of thorns embroidered on the purple and saying, but aren't we getting ready for a manger and for a little baby? And the answer is yes, but. Uh, however, uh, blue suggests royalty. And it is, I believe it comes to the Lutheran Church out of Sweden. And, and it all is also from the Swedish Lutheran Church from generations ago. It also does imply hope, which is such a strong theme. I also do think that for younger children, it, it's a signal. It's blue. It's Advent. We're moving towards Christmas. It's purple or violet. It's Lent. We're moving towards Easter. And, and we're visual creatures. That's the way God has made us. For, for our children especially, I, I like that that signals a different focus in a different direction. Yeah, that's that's, that's helpful. And I, I do appreciate your own observation from when you were a child about seeing the crown of thorns during Advent and, and making that connection, though, I, I think can be a helpful thing for our children as well. So benefits to, to both colors. And just one more question before we look at this text. I've asked this to several guests as well. What's your, what's your favorite Advent hymn, Pastor Bars? Well, you can't ask me for one. Thing. <laughs> that's right. That's so, right. So, so I have, I have three. I, 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 <laughs> that's I, went, all? I went through them. I went through them all. I went through them all. Turned the pages. Turned <laughs> the pages in Lutheran service book. Uh, and the first one is "Savior of the Nations, Come." Now, that was last week. That's how you began. That's how you began this journey. It was appropriate. So it's 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 right there at the at the beginning, near the beginning of our of our Advent hymns. It is it is an ancient prayer. It is uh, curiously today, December seventh, is the uh, remembrance, the commemoration of Ambrose of Milan, who mm. wrote that text. So so I thought that was a nice link that I could sneak in as well. Uh, the second one is "Hark the glad sound, hark the glad sound, the Savior comes," and and I. I have to say one of the reasons I like that is our organist here at Crown of Life plays a prelude on that, and, and we will use it on the third Sunday on uh, Gaudete, Rejoice on Rejoice Sunday when the candle is rose and not blue, and it, it signals Advent for me, and that we are closer, because that's one of the hymns that, that we wait to sing until we are, we are closer to the festival. And the third one is one that I didn't know growing up at all, which is the angel Gabriel from mm. heaven came. And I believe you are going to look at that one we later are. on. Later on. Good, good. Uh, it, it creates such a, such a delightful scene of what it might have been like when the Annunciation happens, when, when Mary up in Nazareth is visited by, by the angel, and there's some, some dialogue that's a part of it. It's, it's a rich hymn, and then a little bit unusual because it's not part of our, our Lutheran tradition. It doesn't sound quite the same, but, but a, a wonderful hymn nonetheless. So there, there we go. There are my three. Very good. Very good. I always appreciate hearing various pastors' favorite hymns because they're not always the same ones that I do, and it's, it's nice to hear what others think and, and why they're their favorite hymns. So we get to look at number 342 today, What Hope and Eden Prophesied. And this one, among the ones that we're looking at on Sharper Iron during this Advent, this one is, I think, unique in that it's written by a pastor who is still living. This is Pastor Stephen Starkey, one of his many hymns in this hymnal. Uh, Pastor Bars, give us just any background information on Pastor Starkey, his work as a hymn writer, and this hymn in particular. Well, I can't speak a great deal about that, but I, I did go to college <laughs> with for a year with uh, Pastor Starkey. With That's, so cool. Starkey, That's so cool. And that was a few years ago, back in the 70s. 
Just, I will tell you one little story about this, though. He was down here in San Antonio for a doxology event, oh, five or six years ago, I suppose it was. And I volunteered members of our congregation to be shuttle drivers so that, so that the doxology people wouldn't have to pay taxi fares or Ubers to get to and from the airport. So it was, it was a Sunday afternoon and it was, it was going to be, it was going to be time for everybody to be leaving. And one of our members, his name is Mark, but that would be Mark with a C, not with a K. He was, he was one of the volunteers and he happened to have Pastor Starkey and, and, uh, Pastor Starkey was maybe a little concerned. I don't want to overemphasize this. He wanted to get to the airport on time. He got a, has to fly all the way back to Michigan. And, uh, and Mark said to him, he said, well, if you miss your flight, you know, what's, what's the big deal? You could just sit there and write another hymn. So, <laughs> so, so I don't know if that's ever happened, that he sat in an airport terminal and said, well, I'll just write another hymn. This one was written a, a number of years ago. It may have been one of his earlier hymns, written in the late 90s. When, when he was studying this Advent text and, and realized, and I, and I think many people would, would have, some, have some sense of this, that so much of the return of Christ or the theology of the return of Christ is millennialistic. And it's, mm-hmm. it's part of broader evangelicalism in our country very much. And so he, he pondered it, he studied the text, and and decided to write it out in poetry. And so it's it's not a long hymn. It's only four stanzas, and they're relatively brief. But it was written mainly to, to help him, I think, personally uh, reflect the meaning of the Isaiah 11 text. That's the text he was studying. It's the Old Testament reading for the second Sunday of the Advent season. And, and wanted to say very simply, what does this express, and what is the hope that the church has the hope as as the church waits for Christ's appearing. That word hope figures prominently within the hymn. It's even in the first line in the title, what hope and Eden prophesied. Just in general, thinking th- about that Isaiah 11 text that stands in the background, what are the primary images in this hymn? I mean, in general, if you had to summarize what this hymn is about, what what is this hymn about? Well, first of all, Isaiah 11 is probably one of the better known texts from Isaiah, certainly Isaiah 53 with with its language of the suffering servant, but Isaiah 7, the virgin will conceive, Isaiah 9, uh, the, the child is to us, a son is born, a child is born, a son is given, and the names uh, which are referenced in this hymn as well, especially especially in the second stanza, Prince of Peace. But But here there is such a need for for the people of God, an exiled, a, 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 rebellion, a rebellious people, to, to have hope that there will be return from exile. Chapter 10 of Isaiah ends with words of judgment on the Assyrian nation. Even that uh, a, tree, a, a tree of Lebanon will, be, will fall, will be cut down. I mean, this takes us back to, this takes us back to Solomon building the temple and and even the flag of Lebanon, if, if people are aware of it, is a cedar, is a, great, is a great cedar tree. But God will bring his judgment, and yet even on Israel, even on his chosen people in their, in their exile, he makes this promise which gives them hope. Then shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And then that, that shoot, that branch, 
that fruit-bearing uh, branch is a person. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear or the piety of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That's sometimes called the seven, sevenfold uh, gifts of the spirit, but it's a promise. It's a messianic promise. Ultimately, it's, it's a promise that God is going to act for the sake of his people. So he, he gives them hope. And, and I have to, I have to say this, I've said it to our people here at crown of life many, many times that, that hope is, is a word that is so strong and rich in scripture, but in our use of it, it's, it's, we, we, we trivialize it. And I, I hope it's, I hope it's sunny or if you're farther north, I, I hope it snows at Christmas. I don't really hope it snows at Christmas, but but I would prefer a bright sunny day about sixty-five degrees would be fine would be fine with me. I could say I, I hope the San Antonio Spurs get get winning again. I, I hope that I hope that my uh, my grandchildren I hope that my grandchildren enjoy school and, and those are all fine things to say, but but it's mostly just our wishes for something good to happen, and usually something good for me or to those that I to those that I care about. But here is here is Psalm forty two. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Hope turns us outward to to the one who who makes promises and who keeps promises hope hope is always always trusting that god will will keep his word and will do what he has said he will do so we are people of hope uh, peter's epistle especially his first letter is sometimes called an epistle of of hope he he speaks of us being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of jesus christ from the dead and Paul writes, Paul writes in Titus, and this is the anticipation of what God is yet to do. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, too, wait for the exile to be over. We, too, wait for our homeland to be given to us, a home we've never been to before, but a home that will be ours for all of eternity. Let's take a look at stanza one of the hymn for today. Again, this is What Hope and Eden Prophesied by Pastor Stephen Starkey, number 342 in Lutheran Service Book. What hope and Eden prophesied where tame live with the wild, the lamb and lion side by side, led by a little child. That's stanza one of our hymn. So what hope? We start with an ex exclamation, and you, you've told us about hope from the scriptural perspective, and the hope that Pastor Starkey points us to first in this hymn is an Eden that is prophesied where tame live, live with the wild. This is a, a reference also to Isaiah 11, it sounds like. It certainly is. And, and though I, I don't think we could find a scripture that says there is there was Eden back in Genesis chapter one, two, and three, and then they were left Eden, but but Eden again, but there are promises throughout scriptures from beginning to the end of God's word that, that say there will be a new paradise, a, a new garden. I find it 
I find it rich literally from the first couple of chapters of scripture to the very close of scripture that we we find that heaven is pictured as as garden like as as a as a place of of delight with with as as we read as we read finally in revelation 22 we read that that it is that it is a place where the tree of life is growing and it has the healing for for every nation is growing there uh, in the river, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, each one for each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, he will come back to the language of fruit in the second stanza, but I think he intertwines intertwines these images of, of garden. Jesus speaks parable after parable. He, he, speaks, he speaks about wheat and weeds. He speaks about sowing and harvesting. He, he, his, his language is rich to speak of, of agriculture and of, and of gardening. And yes, it is the gospel being shared and, and being believed and, and being proclaimed. But it's also an image, a bigger image of, of where the church of where the church is going. I must, I must say, gardening was never my fondest activity as a child. It was, it, I, I considered it mostly punishment when we had to go out oh, no. and, and weed in the garden. And, and yet I didn't really appreciate how good it was yeah. that we had wonderful produce that, that often was, was there, was there abundantly. I did enjoy that. I, so that, that's just my own, that's just my own backstory. What a wonderful, what a wonderful image that Eden is prophesied and, and this tame live with the wild mm. animals that, that don't belong together, animals that, that certainly don't, that certainly don't get along. Verse six of Isaiah 11 says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. The cow and the bear shall graze. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. I left out one little phrase because that's how Pastor Starkey closes this first stanza. And a little child shall lead them. A little child that is safe in these places with these with this mixture of with this mixture of animals that don't belong together. And what a beautiful, delightful, somewhat subtle, but yet a strong hint of a Messiah who will be born among us as a little baby, as a little child. Mm, right. I mean, within the book of Isaiah, the language of a little child shall lead them in chapter 11, I think should remind us of, of chapter nine, which made perhaps most famous by Handel's Messiah that the, you know, for unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given same language here. And, and you can see in this first stanza, really what you were saying about pastor Starkey, having studied Isaiah 11, he wrote it down as a hymn and, and what he does there, making this about specifically an Eden being prophesied, I think is, is so fantastic drawing that garden imagery, as you said, from the beginning of scripture to the very end. And of course, right then in the middle, the garden that is the place of our Lord's death and resurrection, you know, Mary thought he was the gardener there when she saw him after the resurrection, that tying it all together, that there's, there's the tree of life, which is, I, I think, as you point out, it's another Starkey hymn. It is. It is. And, and gardens, yes, not only in the parables of Jesus, yes, but in the actual in the actual ministry of Jesus. Uh, John 18 tells us that 
after the upper room and after the giving of the, the meal of the new covenant and the, the words that Jesus speaks, the words of, of encouragement and of prayers, his high priestly prayers, they go to a garden where Jesus often met with his disciples. It will be the garden where there is there is prayer of, of anguish and for longing to do the Father's will, where there is betrayal and arrest, but but finally, and, and the garden on, on the third day, the third day garden with the, the darkness of death is, is overcome by the victory of the, open, of the open tomb. From garden to garden in our Lord's passion and garden to garden for his people and the promises of his word. Mm, yeah, and I think you could, I mean, just one more, you could connect John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you know, the vineyard language throughout scripture also connected to the same image. And and this is where we dwell now in the church, and yet also looking forward to Eden, I, I would say not only Eden restored, but Eden surpassed in in Revelation, this, this wonderful place that God has prepared for us, where all these animals that normally don't live together, they will, led by a little child, this promised Messiah who has been born to us. Jesus Christ. Any more on that first stanza before we, we read stanza two? Let's go to stanza two. All Pastor right. Apple. So this is stanza two now. A shoot will sprout from Jesse's stem, a branch from David's line, a prince of peace in Bethlehem, the fruit of God's design. Again, that's stanza two of hymn number 342 in Lutheran service book. We've got about two minutes here before the break. Pastor Bars, talk just briefly about this a shoot from Jesse's stem. This is simple language, it, it, but if you have been in any place where a tree has been cut down and surprisingly a, another tree or the, the, it's, it sends out a shoot from it, it happens. It happens and sometimes, sometimes that tree becomes, becomes quite large when it looks as though their, their hope is gone, their situation of exile because of, because of, their, because of their turning away from from their calling as, as the chosen people of God. And he says, what looks to be dead will be the source, will be the source of new life. It will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse, pointing out that it's, yes, it's from David's line, but it's a it's a human birth. It's from the stump of Jesse, from David's David's father Jesse. And then this branch from these roots, and and it will bear fruit. And yes. John 15, which you just mentioned, I am the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. But it is really an, an image of life from death or what appears to be, appears to be certain death. Is it, is it unusual at all that Jesus is himself known to be a carpenter, a wood worker, one who, who will uh, use, use wood in practical ways, but that wood will be used as his instrument of execution and of his torture for us and for our salvation. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think with this idea of, of something sprouting from something that looks dead, we're reminded, of, especially of our Lord's cross, that tree of life. We're going to keep looking at these images on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor Mark Bars about hymn number 342 this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 7th. We are studying the hymn, What Hope and Eden Prophesied, hymn number 342 in Lutheran Service Book. It's written by Pastor Stephen Starkey. And we are talking this morning to Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we were starting stanza two, this matter of the shoot sprouting from Jesse's stem and a branch from David's line. The the news of the shoot from Jesse's stem, that's definitely Isaiah 11. And I, I think this mention of the branch of David's line is a reminder of Jeremiah 23, another important Advent passage. Um, both of these, though, have this this thought that what looks dead, as you pointed out, something living comes from. And particularly during the time of Isaiah, uh, this part of, part of Isaiah is, is written, it seems, during the reign of King Ahaz. And if you go back to chapter 7, King Ahaz was was trying to be pious, but, but he was quite unfaithful in not receiving the sign that the Lord wanted to give him. And so the Lord speaks much judgment. And it looks like at this time, the line of David isn't doing all that great. And so it, it, perhaps Isaiah goes back to Jesse, David's father, as a reminder that Maybe the Davidic kings are not always that great, uh, but the promise that the Lord made for this line remains steadfast. And and Matthew, I think, in his genealogy as he opens the New Testament, really hammers that home, that, that the Lord has kept the promise, and he will, he has, in Jesus, brought about this shoot from the stem of Jesse, the branch from David's line. And the one who is the greater son of, of he's not only Jesse's son in the, yeah. the, the line of of Jesse, but the son of David as is the greater one, the one who will be greeted with greeted with hosannas when he enters mm. when he enters Jerusalem as a as a king, a gracious king, a king who doesn't come to overthrow Romans, but who comes to overthrow sin, death and Satan and does so for us. I'd also like to come back to the one phrase, the very last words, the, the fruit of God's design, that, that there is this, the, the Savior, the Savior who, is, uh, who sets a banqueting table before us, who at the end of, at the end of Psalm 23, but, but a, a psalm that I also would think of when I, when I hear that phrase is that, that simple part of Psalm 34, O oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. And, and the fruit of God's design, it comes to fruition. Uh, another part of that is, is, and I know a lot of our people are, are listening maybe and trying to, trying to make some mental images, is that, is that fruit grows from flowers. And, and so we have another beautiful 
Christmas hymn that talks about a rose air blooming. Is that one that, that you're going to be looking at together? Well, it's, it's grouped in the Christmas section of Lutheran service oh, it book. Is. So it, okay. it didn't make this study, but I think in, in, it is. in it Lutheran is. worship, it was an Advent hymn. Maybe I forget I now. I believe so. But yes, it would be, a, it would, it would be in the Christmas section. Yes. I made a, made a, a note now, but the flower, this flower, once more, a surprise uh, to the people of, of God who are, who are in Roman occupation, under Roman occupation, who have waited 400 years, that then God has been silent, as it were, and, and yet the promise will be kept. Uh, there is reason for hope. Mm-hmm. There is reason for trusting that, that God will be faithful, faithful to his word. And the flower will grow, the fruit will, the fruit will be produced, and it is the fruit of our salvation because we taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, even the fact that it's the fruit of God's design, it's perhaps a bit surprising to us that he would use someone like Jesse and then the young son of Jesse, David, who doesn't look all that kingly from the get-go. And, and we know David's faults later, and we know the faults of his, his children as the line goes down. It perhaps seems strange that God would use this line, and yet he does. He chooses throughout history to use sinners and yet work through them to bring about this fruit, this Savior. And I love the connection you made to the to the hymn that is, again, it's in the Christmas section, but number 359 in Lutheran service book, Lo, a, Lo How a Rose Air Blooming, uses a lot of the same imagery that we hear here in Pastor Starkey's hymn as well. Talk a little bit also in, in stanza two about that, that third phrase, a prince of peace in Bethlehem, familiar language, so perhaps easy for us to just gloss over. What What's the significance of that short phrase? Well, it is from Isaiah 9 that we hear a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In our world, in our world to, to imagine peace when there is continued conflict, not only in Ukraine, uh, Iran is a troubled place. We, we know politically that, that many are rightfully concerned, I think, about China and Taiwan, as, as, well as, as well as the peace needed in our relationships. But the, but the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the one who, who makes right all of the wrongs, is the one who who has promised to us and and given to us. Uh, we can trivialize hope and we can trivialize peace. This is this is more than we can imagine. The peace that he brings. Uh, I, in Ephesians, we read that it's it's the peace between not only between those who are divided horizontally, but it's the peace that divides us. Uh, the lack of peace that divides us vertically, and mm. and our God is the one who gives His very Son to be the Prince of Peace in Bethlehem. Of course, we sing "O Little Town of Bethlehem," but that's David's that's David's hometown. It is it is the the land of the place of promise that mm. that a place known only for a king generations ago uh, hundreds of years before would be the place for the good news of great joy the savior who is born when when mary and joseph trek from nazareth and are and are brought there by the roman census and and the prince of peace is of course born where any king should be born and the new davidic king the great davidic king would call that would call that his birthplace 
Mm, yeah, the the Prince of Peace in Bethlehem, Bethlehem being foretold by the prophet Micah. We see that fulfilled in the Gospels, of course. And what you were saying about the the Prince of Peace, I mean that that title for Christ again coming from Isaiah certainly fits very well in this hymn. And even with what we've talked about in the first stanza, the tame living with the wild, the lamb and lion side by side, that kind of peace in the new creation, a horizontal peace, as you called it, can exist because of what this Prince of Peace does in the vertical sense. He makes this this sinful creation right with God again and, and fixes the rebellion that, that we have, have wrought against God. He brings us back to peace. He reconciles us so that there is peace in both senses. We experience it, you know, I mean— you, I, I don't remember exactly how you always start your sermons now, Pastor Bars. I, I've made a habit of saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That word peace, you know, it's easy just to rattle that off as a pastor. Maybe it's easy just to hear that because you know your pastor's going to say it. But to, to really consider what that peace is, this is a, a true peace that, that passes understanding, as perhaps you say at the end of your sermons. Well, I'm going to connect this with what today is in history. Mm. It is December 7th. It is the day of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. I wasn't born. I've only studied in history. I've read plenty about it. I have, for whatever reason, reasons, I've, I've read a lot of World War II history. Uh, I'm going to, to sneak in the surprise to you, Pastor Apple, but I'm going to sneak in a happy baptism birthday and blessed baptism birthday to George Frank, my good friend in Saginaw, Michigan, because, because he was baptized on December 7th, 1941. Wow. He was baptized on the day of, on the day of that attack. And I try to remind him of that, and now I get to remind him of it. I get to remind him of it with other people are other people are listening too. But but the the peace, the the fragile peace that was broken, you know, the the world was already aflame. If you study history, and you know that lots had happened already in Europe and in the Far East, and here the United States was trying to trying to be uh, as distant geographically as we could be politically from from the uh, from the warfare. And it didn't happen. We were involved in millions and millions, including my uncles and my my father-in-law and, mm-hmm. and lots of different people served in that conflict to try to bring peace until until there was VE Day in May of 1945, until there was VJ Day in August of 1945. Uh, but even that peace, that peace is is fragile and it's and it's not going to last ultimately and not eternally. It is the peace that the Prince of Peace gives and bestows and works and gives to his church. That's the gift that we are celebrating. We're waiting for that. We're waiting for that final, final resolution of it, that final revealing of it. But even now, even now, we dare, we dare to say peace on earth and goodwill toward man through Christ, the one who comes to reconcile us. Let's take a look at stanza three of our hymn. Pastor Starkey writes, As banner of God's love unfurled, Christ came to suffer loss, that by his death a dying world would rally to the cross. That's stanza three of the hymn, What Hope and Eden Prophesied. So Pastor Bars, talk about this first image that Pastor Starkey brings out now, the banner of God's love unfurled. 
Well, for a banner to be seen, it has to be unfurled. It's not rolled all tightly together. It's it's carried out streaming. And and this too, I just spoke of just spoke of the attack on Pearl Harbor and and armies going into into battle. And maybe it's even from a farther back of history where where flags were definitely carried into battle and you followed you followed that flag. I have I have images of of civil war civil war battles where and and if the flag goes down somebody must pick it up. Somebody must pick up the flag. So so it is God's love unfurled, but it is because our Lord goes into battle. He's mm-hmm. he's willing to suffer loss for us. He is, as as we read in Philippians chapter two, uh, willing to set aside, willing to set aside all the all the glory that was his, uh, in order to be humbled and become a servant for us. He came to suffer loss. He came to fight the battle and to win the war that we could not win. He, he's a banner. Isaiah uses the language, or it's often translated as a signal. That uh, this is in verse uh, verse ten of a. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples or a banner or an ensign of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Even the nations, even the nations will see and and must know Philippians two again, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the father. He came to suffer loss. By his death, a dying world would rally to the cross. A spiritually dying world would do as the people in the wilderness did when when they were bitten by the fiery serpents and God directed Moses to make the bronze snake and hold it and hold it up, to lift it up. So Jesus says in John chapter three, so will he be lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He tells us that in John 3, echoes it in John 12, when he says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so we have sung, it's a newer hymn to the Lutheran church, but it's an old English hymn, Lift High the Cross, the Love of Christ Proclaim. Is it an Advent hymn? Well, not particularly. But it, but it is always the church's, it is always the church's song, the church's refrain, to lift high the cross, even when the world around us. I just had a conversation recently with with someone who was asking an honest question about about different religions and why there are so many different religions. And I had to clarify first that it wasn't just about denominations; it was about religions. And and I tried to say that the difference is. The difference is is sin and and guilt and forgiveness, not trying to improve myself or hoping to be reincarnated to some better some better higher uh, spiritual form, but know that we are we are sinners who turn to the cross and know that there uh, the true love of God has been revealed to us an undeserved gift, and it is what we're going to at christmas it is uh, there's a there's a phrase in a in a in a it's not a it's not a hymn it's more of a carol christmas tree calvary crossing in god's most awesome plan sin and grace face to face bringing together god and man uh, the christmas tree that in this church is made into a cross and carried in during the lenten season so so we do follow that cross even from the manger on
Mm. Well, this is what's what's very striking about this stanza, and I, I really appreciate you bringing out the military warfare language uh, image that comes up with this idea of the banner of God's love. So you're going to unfurl the banner so that it can be seen in a battle, and yet when Christ comes to go into this battle, he comes to suffer loss. He, he goes into this battle and actually ends up winning the battle by dying. And, and thinking about the way stanza two ended, the fruit of God's design, that, that the Lord's design often works in ways that are unexpected to us, this banner of God's love being unfurled as Christ suffering loss and death on the cross, that seems to fit right into that, that way that God works. And there are so many beautiful, uh, really beautiful, I, I, I mean that, I mean that completely, beautiful images that the church has used over the years uh, to depict this. We, we have a banner that hangs during the, the Easter season. It, it hangs, it's a large banner, it, it fills one side of the wall, but, but I wish our, our viewers could, I don't have a picture of it, but I have a different picture, but somewhat similar. It's a picture of the lamb who was slain, who has begun his reign. It's sometimes called the Agnus Dei, which is the Lamb of God. It's a it's the phrase that we use in the in the communion service, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's shown as a as a wounded lamb, sometimes as a wounded lamb. There there is often a, a, a bloody wound on the lamb, but yet glorified because the lamb who was slain has begun his reign. But the lamb is carrying a cross, and the cross has a banner. It has another cross on it. it, it you can't help but, but echo what, what John said, what John the baptizer said of Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, is, is all of that, I don't want to say it's reading too much into a simple bit of poetry here, but it, it just has to take us in in a lot of different directions that, that are grounded in in the good news of what it is that our Savior enters this world, enters this world, suffers loss for our gain, uh, lets himself have poverty that we might be rich. Mm, right, and and this this cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the the way in which he would draw us to himself. You mentioned both John 3 and John 12. Jesus uses that language of drawing the world to himself that, that seems to be echoed here, or at least my mind goes to it from, from reading the end of stanza 3, that they would this world would rally to the cross. Christ desires to draw all men to himself. And and again, just thinking through some of the images we talked about with the, the garden language in scripture and agricultural language in scripture, my mind goes to Jesus' parable, I believe it's of the mustard seed, where he talks about it being planted and growing into this, this small seed plant. It grows into a large tree and birds of the air find a home there. And, and I, I, I see a similar thing. Again, not, not you know, Pastor Starkey is, is living and he can correct me. He maybe didn't have any of this in mind. <laughs> but this is where my mind goes, some of the connections that I, I find in Scripture that this hymn, I, and that's the beauty of poetry and hymnody, is that it invites us to think through and, and make such connections. But I mean, I, this is our Lord drawing us to himself through his death. He He draws all men to himself, and, and that's what he desires, is to bring us into his church where there is true life. And I'll, have, I'll give another image for the cross. We, we are marked with the cross at holy baptism. Now, it's not a, that's not a biblical command. It's not something Jesus said. And before you pour water in the name of the triune God, make, make a sign of the cross on the forehead and upon the heart. But, but we, we bear the cross. We, we are those who, who carry the cross, who are, who are marked with the cross. And, and 
as I have done for many years, I say to those not yet receiving the Lord's Supper, they may be, they may be young children, they may be adults. I, I mark the cross on their forehead and I say, rejoice in your baptism. You are a child of God. So the cross is, is the sign of the church and it is a sign that, that we must carry to the nations. In, in, our, in our own communities, when, when across the street from Crown of Life is a, is a Mormon stake, is a, is a Mormon mm-hmm. place of worship with no cross and we must, we must lift high that cross of salvation. And we preach Christ crucified, as Paul says. Let's take a look at stanza four, the last stanza of this hymn. Come, Jesus, come, Messiah, Lord, lost paradise restore. Lead past the angel's flaming sword. Come, open heaven's door. That's the last stanza of our hymn, number 342 in Lutheran Service Book, What Hope and Eden Prophesied. So here we, we have a prayer, Pastor Bars, come Jesus. This is the prayer of Revelation. Uh, how does Pastor Starkey help us to pray that in this last stanza? It's probably a, a bit of a liability that some of us have grown up praying, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, <laughs> as a mealtime prayer, and and have not realized the richness. It's only it's only in two small places at the end of First Corinthians chapter sixteen, and it's there at near very near almost at the very end of Revelation twenty two. Our Lord come, Maranatha in in First Corinthians sixteen, and come Lord Jesus in Revelation twenty two. It is it is the Advent prayer the, that the God who has come to be with us, who has come in history and for us some 2,000 years ago, who comes to his church with his gifts, with his gifts of, of gospel proclaimed and, and gospel made visible and, and, and splashed upon us and, and tasted and tasted in his supper. Come, Messiah, Lord, come keep that final promise. Lost paradise restore. So this, this phrase takes us back to how, how the hymn begins with, and Eden prophesied, lost paradise restored. I honestly don't know how long ago it was that I even had an acquaintance with Paradise Lost by John Milton, 1674 version. I I printed it off last night just so I could look at it again. I didn't make it all the way through. It's really long. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> but, but how interesting that 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 attempt at poetry uh, would would convey uh, that paradise is lost, but yet he he speaks he speaks in strange ways and strange forms and language. Milton does, but he speaks gospel as well. And, and I, I I also scratch my head a little bit that a writer by the name of John Steinbeck would write mm. a book called East of Eden. Uh, an illusion that is unfortunately lost to many people that that he's talking about the garden of eden and and what happens in a fractured in a fractured family and then lead past the angel's flaming sword why does why does god set up an angel a cherubim outside of eden so that so that adam and eve do not come back to the tree of life and live apart from him he, he must keep them away because there will be a different tree of life. We've spoken already, and mm. we're, we're grateful that Stephen Starkey wrote a hymn, wrote a hymn about, right. that, yeah. about that as well. It's in the, in the justification section. We'll sing this, uh, we'll sing this in, in one more of the Christmas hymns. 
I'll, I'll hint ahead a little bit for several weeks. Let all together praise our God, a hymn written during the Reformation years. We'll have this stanza. He is the king and he the door to blessed paradise. Mm. The angel bars the gate no more. To God, our praises rise. To God, our praises rise. Mm. Yeah, what a fantastic, uh, again, uh, inclusio, it, it, it echoes the first hymn, or the first stanza of the hymn, you get the same imagery here at the the final stanza of the hymn. And and in Christ, that flaming sword carried by the angel is no threat, we are received into an open heaven. We've got about three minutes here, Pastor Bars, on, on the morning, help us to to wrap this up, final thoughts on this hymn, the season of Advent as we as we come to conclusion. Well, first of all, about the season of Advent, and we've talked about that earlier this hour. What is Advent for? It's for getting ready. It's for preparing. What does Advent do? It slows us down. It makes us wait. And the church needs that so that when we come to the festival, we don't just say, oh, it's Christmas Eve, oh, it's Christmas Day, but we've been on, we've been on a journey to take us here. Uh, we are those who watch, who prepare, who rejoice. That will be next Sunday, this, this coming Sunday in the Advent season. And we are, and we are people of, and we are people of hope. We are, we are hopeful people, hope, full of hope, hope with an anchor of the soul. Here's something interesting. This melody has a title, and I don't know how many of our listeners might have their, might have their Lutheran service books open, but uh, the title is called Consolation. It's the same tune that is used for hymn 348, also in the Advent section, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. Uh, these are, this is a, a southern folk melody, and it's, it's, rather interesting to me that our, our, our repertoire of music has changed as well as our texts in our hymnal in more recent years where we sing we sing a great variety we sing hymns from Africa now which is which is a which is a lot of fun but it's a it's a southern folk melody early 1800s and and that it is titled consolation I don't know why that is so I tried to dig around to find out find that out but I, I couldn't find that information. And yet this is a consoling hymn because, because it speaks of the hope that is ours, that is ours in Christ. It speaks of the hope that we long for, the hope that will be fulfilled when to us a child is born, to us a son is given good news of great joy. And it is as well when it ends, uh, the stanza ends, come open heaven's door. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, Revelation 21. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I'm going to sing the last stanza, and let it be a prayer for us this day. Come, Jesus, come, Messiah, Lord, lost paradise restore. Lead past the angel's flaming sword, come open heaven's door. Pastor Mark Bars is pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us today look at the hymn number 342 in Lutheran Service Book by Pastor Stephen Starkey, What Hope an Eden Prophesied. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. 
You're very welcome. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. We are a people of hope, dear people of God, those who know the promises of Christ, that he has come to restore all things, and he will come on the last day to make that promise good. He will take us past the angel's flaming sword and through heaven's open door. If you have any questions, or if you'd like to let us know your favorite Advent hymn, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.